Welcome to another Macquarie Life Church podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. Welcome to another Macquarie Life Church podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. Thank you, Father. That is the prayer, our prayer, that we would praise your name no matter what season. And God, from our souls, we line our souls up with our spirits and we praise you, Father. Everything in our hearts we give to you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen, Amen, through the camera. How are you all through the camera? If the camera could talk, it would say, hey, Roz, I'm really good. I'm going really well through this COVID. Um, But anyway, the camera can't talk, so that's just me imagining what the camera would sound like. But first of all, I want to say thank you, Johnny Newsom and Sophie. It was great to have Sophie on. And um, I love that song that Johnny sang. And if you want to download any of his music, Apple, Spotify, whatever streaming service you use, download his unveiling album, album and enjoy. Well, church, are you enjoying spring? Are you enjoying not being in Queensland, not being in Western Australia, not being in Victoria, South Australia, Northern Territory or Tasmania? Yes, you're enjoying being in New South Wales. Now, I've got a a stress relief technique for you. If you're stressed, and you want to get the stress out, just go up to someone, stand close to them and say to them, I've been in a hot spot and watch how they freak out. This is really helping me with my stress. If you have been in a hot spot, I don't advise it. But if you haven't been in a hot spot, it's wonderful. They freak out and you feel really good. Anyway, that's my stress relief advice for the day. All right. Now, Mark's word for the year was gather. And the reason gather is so important, Jesus talked a lot about gathering, but two or three, he's in the midst. And also by our gathering, by our loving one another, they will know, people will know that we are Christians. So it's important to gather. We've been doing two pop-up services, one 10 a.m. on a Sunday morning, where it's invite only. And every second Sunday night, we've also been doing a pop-up in the room. But on the 24th of October, we are going to launch five pop-ups. They're going to go from Saturday night all the way to Tuesday morning. They'll be at different venues. There'll be gatherings of 50 to 60 people. I've been loving these pop-ups. They've been more intimate, more interactive, simple and less polished and a great sense of the Holy Spirit and um, ministering to one another. So in the next couple of weeks, we're going to be sending out either email, mail, social media, a little um, pick your pop-up where you can uh, register where you're interested, what pop-up you would like to go to. And uh, you're going to be hearing a lot about these pop-ups in the next few weeks. If you you want to stay online and keep gathering online, we'll be still having our gathering online people joining us together. So stay tuned about that. All right. Uh, I want to do a shout-out to next week. Next week, uh, a promo for next week. Next week, we've got Matty Old and Jacques on a panel. And uh, I've invited them onto this panel because they both grew up in pastors' homes. They both 
had a time where they walked away from God and walked away from the church, but they both came back to Christ. And I, next week we're going to hear their story, what worked, what didn't work, um, how they came back to God, what they're doing differently with their family, things they had to unlearn. So make sure you tune in next Sunday. It's actually going to be a very profound, powerful and raw morning. It always is when we hear stories of restoration. Have you ever been on a journey that has changed your life? 1978, I was in a train going to Redfern. I was going to enrol in Sydney Teachers College and I'd never been there. Um, But I was sitting on the train, staring out the window, watching the suburbs, all the inner suburbs, and there were no trees. And this conversation went on in my head, something like this, Roz. There are no trees. You are going to be catching this train for the next three years and there are going to be no trees. And the part of me that loves trees, which is a big part actually, uh, decided that at the next station, Strathfield Station, she would get up, get out of the train, walk over the bridge to the other side of the station and go home. I never arrived at Redfern Station. I never arrived at Sydney's Teachers College. I got home and my mum said, how did you go? And I said, I'm not going to Sydney Teachers College. She said, why? I said, there's no trees. I said, I'm going to go to Karingai Teachers College. She said, well, that's like twice the amount of public transport, but I didn't care. And that journey, that decision actually changed my life. I enrolled at Karingai Teachers College in the first week. I met Mark, who was my going to be my partner. Yes, we did have a seven-week, um, seven-year uh, journey. You'll hear about that probably tonight. And uh, thanks, Jordan. And uh, I met, but I didn't meet my husband. We got a lot. We became Christians. I met Debbie Askew, who led me to the Lord. And we found a lifetime mission together. And it completely transformed my life. And I know it transformed your life because now, because of that, I'm in Newcastle and you love me and know me. Uh, Tonight, I want, today, I want to talk about journeys that change your life. And we're going from Acts 9, the series, Where to From Here. A side note, I just think it's so interesting that we're doing Acts and talking about the church and the launching of the church and gathering when we're actually not gathering. And um, it's profound and it's prophetic. And I'm sure one of these days we will tell you why it's prophetic and why it's profound. So Acts 9, we read about Saul, who later became Paul, and it was one of the most significant, significant journeys in Christendom. So let me tell you a little bit about Saul. We're about to hear of his conversion. Uh, It's also going to be repeated in Acts 22 and Acts 26. Paul, who would later write 13 epistles in the New Testament and who will dominate the rest of Acts. He's the main player on the stage after Christ. He needed a unique conversion because he was a unique man with a unique calling. He was from Tarsus. By birth, a Jew. By conviction, a Pharisee. By citizenship, a Roman. By education, a Greek. In Philippians 3, he gives his own CV. He says this, Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. And as for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. I don't think he would have been a good neighbour. He would have always been... He would have been a self-righteous, dobbing neighbour. Anyway, 
At the age of 13, he was uh, sent to Jerusalem to study Judaism under one of the most influential mentors, Gamaliel. Under his teaching, he had years of memorizing the Old Testament and learning about Judaism. He spoke at least four languages. However, later in his letters, he says this, that he counted this all as rubbish compared to knowing Christ. Even though he had years of study, he didn't know Christ. He became, after his conversion, he became a missionary, a theologian, an evangelist, a pastor, a teacher, a preacher, a leader, a thinker, a facilitator, an apostle, and finally a martyr. John Newton was a slave trader and eventually he became the captain of his own slave ship. And one day in a frightening storm, he decided to give his life to Christ and he was we know him because he was the one that penned the great hymn, Amazing Grace. And Newton wrote his own epitaph on his tomb. And this is what it says. It comes up on the screen. John Newton. Once an infidel and a libertine, a servant of slaves in Africa, was by the rich mercy of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ preserved, restored, pardoned and appointed to preach the faith he had long laboured to destroy. And so it was with Paul. He ended up preaching the faith that he tried so desperately to destroy. And I've got to say this, if God can reach Paul, he can reach anyone. We have already met Saul in Acts 7. He was involved in the planning of Stephen's execution. So let's start off Acts 9. Let's read together. Meanwhile, Saul was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples and he went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there, he'd already destroyed those in Jerusalem. Now he wanted to go to Damascus, who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Paul hated Christians. He saw Christianity and anyone involved in Christianity as a threat to Judaism and he wanted to hunt them down and take them out. In those days, you wouldn't be wearing a T-shirt that said, I love Jesus, let's put it that way. Christians in those days called themselves the way because they were following the one who called himself the way, I am the way, Jesus in John 14.6. Interesting, Christianity is inclusive and exclusive. Inclusive in that all can come to him. Jesus said all can come to him. It doesn't matter gender, race, age, tribe, what language you speak. Christianity is open for anyone. Exclusive though, because Jesus said he's the only way to the Father. And many people get offended at this statement. They think there's many ways to God. But let me tell you, if there were many ways to God, God wouldn't have sent his one and only son to die such a brutal death on the cross to reconcile us to the Father. And even when Jesus was in the garden, remember the prayer. He said, God, if there's any other way, but there was no other way. He is the way. Let's keep reading. As Saul neared Damascus on his journey, it was about one week journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up, enter the city, 
and you'll be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he couldn't see anything. So they led him by the hand into Damascus, and for three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Interesting that Jesus decided to come to Saul and the light appear right in the middle of the day, the midday sun, but it came on Saul um, and it was made the midday sun look bright. In fact, it was so bright that it blinded Saul and the men around him fell to the ground. Um, Saul sees Jesus. So it wasn't a vision. The resurrected Christ actually came to Saul in that moment. Later on in verse 17, it says Jesus tells us how Jesus appeared to Saul. And also verse 27, um, Saul said he, he saw Jesus on the road and heard him speak. Interesting, um, God calls him by name. So God calls Saul by name, even though Saul is murdering his people. God speaks to people who hate him and who don't know him. And, you know, in the middle of my years of mocking the church and not wanting anything to do with God, God was still guiding me. I look back on my life and God was still guiding me. And, you know, I want to encourage anyone out there with family or friends, you're praying for family or friends who don't know Christ. I've just got to tell you, when I didn't know Christ, there was lots of conversations and dialogues going in my, on in my head about loneliness and about emptiness. And God was waiting for me until the emptiness was enough. There was, so, there was such a void in my heart that eventually I cried out to Christ. And you don't know what is going on. You don't know the conversations that are going on in your loved one's heads. But God is waiting and he wants to lead them and draw them by his love. Jesus asked him a question. That's why I love John's song before. Uh, the first thing that God did when Adam and Eve fell and walked away from him was ask them a question. Where are you? God knew where they are. I mean, why would God ask us any questions? He knows everything. But he says to Saul, why are you persecuting me? He could have said, hey, Saul, stop persecuting me. Stop persecuting the Christians. But he's a question asker of God. This is my thoughts. Because he, when you ask questions, you engage people. He wanted to engage Saul. He wanted um, a back and forth conversations. Questions make you go back and forth. They connect. He wanted Saul to look inside himself and come out with the answer and be involved in the conversation. That's what questions do. If you ever want to get to know people, become a good question asker and draw them out. He could have said, why are you persecuting Stephen? Or why are you persecuting the church? But he said, why are you persecuting me? Why? Because Christ, the church, is Christ's body. So it is him. Christ and the church are joined. They're inseparable. They're bound together. If they hit you, if they hit the church, they hit Christ. If they mock the church, they mock Christ. So you have to be careful about criticising 
the church. You can speak up and vent about different things, but be careful about criticising the church because if you criticise the church and you persecute and mock the church, you are mocking and persecuting Christ. This is the way I see it. If I hurt my finger, I've got to be careful which finger I put up there. If, if I hurt my finger and I cut my finger, it hurts my head. My head goes, ouch. And that is the same with Christ and his body. We're going to borrow briefly from Acts 26.14. In Acts 26.14, Saul gives us a bit more detail and he says this, We all fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. The Passion Translation says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You are only hurting yourself when you resist your calling. In those days, they used goads to, um, they were like sharp pieces of timber that could pierce an animal's skin and they used them to make sure the oxen stayed on the track and didn't go the wrong way. And so God is saying to Saul, don't do that. What are you doing? You're pulling. I'm trying to draw you in, Saul. But you keep pulling against me. And by pulling against me and by pulling against your call, the call that I've got for you, you are harming yourself. You cannot pull against God and not feel pain. We all have moments of goad kicking. I've had plenty of moments of goat kicking. God's saying, I want you to lay this down. I want you to go here. I want you to lay down teaching and following me into the ministry. But I've learnt this with God. You can't win. So the quicker you give up, the quicker you stop wrestling and say yes, the quicker you get to that altar and lay it down and say yes, the better it will be for you. The other man didn't hear the voice. This is my thought on why they, why didn't the other men hear the voice? They saw the light, but they didn't hear the voice. This is my Rosé's little thought. I think because your conversion, your encounter with God has to be personal. Every conversion and every encounter, and we all need an Acts 9, by the way, we all need an encounter with God, is extremely personal. And it has to be between you and Christ. You have to hear his voice and it has to be so powerful that it will carry you through and give you conviction and faith for the rest of your life. Um, Saul couldn't have an in Stephen's encounter. He couldn't have his parents' encounter. He couldn't have the other apostles' encounter. He had to have his own personal encounter. He says to Christ, who are you, Lord? So he's looking at him. He hears his voice. He says, who are you, Lord? And at that point, the scripture says that he bows his knee to Christ. And one commentator says this, that at that moment, Stephen's prayer was answered. Remember at the end of Acts 7 where Stephen says, forgive them, Father, they do, and do not hold against them um, this sin. And at that moment, Jesus answers Stephen's prayer and forgives Saul for stoning and being involved in Stephen's execution. An interesting theological tension here, which you can think about, is that this is a sovereign act of God. Uh, Saul didn't pray the sinner's prayer. There was no Hillsong music playing. There was no altar call. He just fell to his knees and bowed his knee and was transformed. It was a sovereign act. 
And every act of salvation, I believe, is a sovereign act of God. It's initiated by God, but also at the same time, we actually choose God. Read Romans 9 and have a think about that one. Paul enters the city. He um, is blind for three days. He has a lot to think about, pray about. Um, his whole life has been completely transformed. He's going to have a different future. His friends that were once friends are going to now be his enemies. And he's got to do a reset. And in verse 10, we read that the Holy Spirit comes and speaks to a man called Ananias and says, Hey, Ananias, I want you to go to Saul. I want you to pray for him and restore his sight. Ananias is a leader in the church in Damascus and kind of has a freak out and says, Oh, I know Saul's reputation. Can't you send somebody else? Uh, this is what he says in verse 13. Lord, Ananias answers, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name, like me. Um, but the Lord says to Ananias, go. This man is, cho is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Saul made others suffer, but now he will become the sufferer. He persecuted others, but now he will become the persecuted. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it, and placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul. I love that. Brother Saul. So straight away, when you're converted, when you have an encounter with Christ, you join, whether you like it or not, you join the family of God. You find your tribe. You, you, you come into a new family. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up, was baptised and after taking some food, he regained his strength. This is a great testimony and a great little couple of sentences of discipleship. Conversion, encounter with Christ, baptism, which symbolises the death, burial and resurrection of Christ and then being filled with the Holy Spirit. The second um, experience of Christ being filled with the Holy Spirit. Most commentators say that there was a time gap there and that actually Saul went away for about three years to Arabia and got to know Christ uh, renewed his thinking, thought about the gospel of grace. It says in Galatians 1.17, I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went to Arabia. Later, I returned to Damascus. Um, verse 20 reads that he returns to Damascus and preaches to the Jews. He had a fine mind. He knew the Old Testament, he knew Greek, he knew Hebrew, so he could debate with them. The problem with the Jews is they weren't expecting a suffering Christ, a suffering Messiah. They were expecting a Messiah that was going to reign, rule and rescue them from the Romans. So Christ couldn't be the Messiah. How could Christ be the Messiah when Christ, they'd seen what he'd suffered and they'd seen his death but, you know, Paul had to say, to, and this is an interesting concept, because Paul had to convince them, hey, 
Christ wasn't bringing an external or a physical kingdom, Jews. He was bringing a spiritual kingdom. And the battle for good and bad is not waged war in external things and nations. The battle for good and bad is waged in our hearts. And the most challenging dominion for Christ to conquer is the heart of a human being. So he had to try and persuade them of this concept. The Bible says he confounded them. He knew the scripture. They couldn't out-debate him. So what do people do when they can't out-debate you? When they don't like hearing the truth, they try and silence you. And that's what the Jews did. It says in verse 23, After many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night, lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. Most humans find the truth hard to hear. And, you know, if they don't like hearing the truth, they try and silence you or they try and give death threats, as they often do now on on social media. It's interesting, uh, this morning I was reading in the paper, the front page, Daily Telegraph, it says, I'm battling with FOPO. And uh, I've heard of FOMO, fear of missing out. And in our family we have a thing called JOMO, joy of missing out. Beck and Mark have joy of missing out. They love it when they miss out on anything. Um, But this is called FOPO. And interesting, Penrith halfback Nathan Cleary is on top of the ladder, seemingly on top of the world. But he has opened up about his anxiety issues, revealing he has been dealing with a serious case of FOPO or fear of other people's opinions amid social media trolling. Um, so it's an interesting thing. In This is what I think in life. I think you have to get develop a being hated resilience or uh, worrying about people's opinions and you have to get over... You have to get over the fact that people aren't going to like you. You know, Jesus said that they would hate him, so they will hate the church. And there will always be some people that don't like us. So we have to develop a resilience, um, yeah, that can come through being hated or disliked. Interesting. They say that most people who criticise you are jealous of you. So the next time you go to criticise someone, just dig a little bit deeper in your own soul and figure out whether you're just jealous of them. Um, we're not going to go to the rest of the chapter. We're going to finish. The rest of the chapter talks about Paul going back to Jerusalem and Peter um, raising uh, Dorcas, who was a dead woman, but we're not going to have time. We're going to stop here at going through the wall. You know, just in your... So this is just you, wherever you're at today. Just when you think there's no way out, A hole appears in the wall and people lower you in the basket and you can escape. There is always a way. I want to speak to you today if you're feeling stuck or you feel like you're facing a brick wall and there is no hope. If the enemy ever says to you that there is no hope, that is a lie. There is always hope in God. I tell you why, because he said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And then he went on to say, I am the resurrection. No hope doesn't exist in Christ. 
He's the way out. He's the way through, under, over and around. He either always makes a way in our thinking or our circumstance. He doesn't just make a way. He is the way. He is the path. He is the guide. His words are a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. So I want to say this. There's always two ways through. There's either a way in your thinking or a way in the circumstance. I'm going to give you two examples. The other week I was talking to Mindy and I wanted to change something up in our set and in our cafe and I just kind of put it out there and I thought, I don't even know how we can do this. I couldn't figure out how we could do it. And Mindy looks at me and she goes, we can do that. Now, I've got to tell you, it didn't take her five minutes. It didn't take her one minute. It kind of took her ten seconds. She looked at me and she said, we can do that. And at that moment, I tried to look at her brain, um, but all I could see was her beautiful brunette hair, of course. So I asked her a question. I said, Mindy, what happens to your brain when I say that? And she said, Ros, my default is always, we can do it. She said, I only have one default, and it's, we can do it. The pathway in her brain is so well-worn down and knows that track so well, it's the only way she goes. Some of you today need to reroute your brain, the tracks that you have laid down in your thinking, because you always think there is no way. How can there be no way if the way lives in you? Sometimes the only way through, it's not a change in our mindset, it's actually a way that opens up in our circumstances. You know, when I left college, the beautiful tree college at Karingai, the Department of Education said to me, you will not get a job for 20 years. My mother was quite disturbed about this. She said, Ros, you need to go home, go back, do some more study and become a librarian. I thought, no, thank you. Um, anyway, moved to the Central Coast and got a job at a Catholic school teaching PE and library. Didn't even have to study for it. And, uh, but anyway, after a year, I... Oh, this is important. This is really important that I tell you. I did teach PE and I did actually teach Natalie Imbruglia. <laughs> Everything Natalie Imbruglia knows... I taught her, her year one PE teacher. Hello, Natalie. If you're out there, remember me. Um, anyway, I wanted my own class and it was impossible. They said, no, you're not a Catholic. You haven't done all those things. You're a Pentecostal. Um, so I was facing a wall. But I remember one Sunday night in October, walking out, praying to God, and the Holy Spirit spoke to me really clearly. And he said, next year, you're going to have your own class. So I went, okay. That Thursday, the none. The principal called me into her office and she said, Roz, next year a class has opened up. We've got extra kids and we would like you to teach year one. Um, sign here. I signed there. Interestingly enough, I found out later that she didn't discuss it with anyone. She didn't discuss it with the other teachers, the other execs. She didn't discuss it with the priest who always gives the okay for the teacher. And anyway, later he completely freaked out. But guess what? The ink on that contract was already dry. And Rosaire was in with the year one class because that nun absolutely loved me. 
we got on a house on like a house on fire. Um, so I want to finish, and I want to pray for you today. No matter what you're facing, I want to read this scripture. Zechariah four six says this. This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, or your name, to Roz, when she couldn't get a job, whatever. It's not by might. It's not by power. But it's by my spirit. It's by the way, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain? Who are you, wall? What are you, wall? Or thing that I'm stuck in? Or thing that says it can't be done? Before Zerubbabel can't say that name, you too many syllables, you shall become a plain and he shall bring forth the capstone with shouts of grace to it, grace to it. We're going to pray in a minute, but God can bring the mountain down. God can open a window in the wall and lower you through in a basket. God can make all the other skaters fall down and you can be the Stephen Bradbury that goes over the line. The first thing I want you to do when I pray in a minute, you need to name your wall. What is your wall? And then you need to be brave enough to Either ask him to change you or change the wall. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, first of all, for this incredible story, this remarkable story of Paul. We thank you for the life of Paul because he has influenced us all, changed all of our lives with the New Testament. But right now, Father, I reach out through that camera, to the people who are sitting and listening and they're completely stuck. And they have moved somehow from faith into doubt. And this morning you are calling them back. Today you are calling them back and saying, you've got to get your butt back into faith. Because I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and the same spirit that rose Christ from the dead lives in you. And there is always... There is always a way because his ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts higher than our thoughts. So we name our wall and we say, Father, Holy Spirit, either change us or change the circumstance, but we believe that there is always a way. Open the Red Sea. Open the Red Sea so we can walk across the dry land. We hold that promise and we believe, Father, we believe and we trust you. And, you know, for anyone today that's watching this and you don't know Christ, there is no other way. doesn't matter how good you are. doesn't matter how many times you've been to church. There is no other way because nothing else can deal with our sin that separates us from God. There is no answer except for Christ. He died on a cross. He took our sin so that we can be reconciled to the Father. The challenge for us is to humble ourselves and to know we can't do it. So let me pray for you today if you want to invite Christ into your life. Lord Jesus, I ask you to forgive me for all my mistakes and for my sin. 
I come before you, I humble myself. And Lord Jesus, I receive the gift of salvation. Fill me with your spirit. Speak to me. I need an encounter with you. I want you to be my friend and my Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, church. Love you. Have a great day. And um, see you again. Thank you for listening. We hope you have enjoyed this message. For more information, please visit macroylifechurch.com.au. Thank you for listening. We hope you have enjoyed this message. For more information, please visit macroylifechurch.com.au.